0: The second reading comes from Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 19, which can be found on page 416 of the church Bibles. Nehemiah 6, starting from verse 1. When word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall, and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates. Sanbalat and Geshem sent me this message Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me, so I sent messengers to them with this reply I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. Then, the fifth time, Sanbalat Sent his aid to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it's true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king, and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now, this report will get back to the king. So come, let us meet together. I sent him this reply. Nothing lo- what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. One day, I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Mehedabel, who was shut in his home. He said, Let us meet in the house of God, inside the temple, and let us close the temple doors, because men are coming to kill you. By night they are coming to kill you. But I said, Should a man like me run away? Or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me, because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this, and they would then would give me a bad name to discredit me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophet Noadiah and how she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate me. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Also, in those days, the nobles of Judah were sending many letters to Tobiah, um, and replies from Tobiah kept coming to them. For many in Judah were under the oath to him, since he was a son-in-law to Shechaniah, son of Ara. And his son, Jehoiachin, had married the daughter of Meshulam, son of Berechiah. Moreover, they kept reporting to me his good deeds, and then telling him what I said. And Tobiah sent letters to intimidate me. This is the word of the Lord.
1: That's great work on those names, Bree. We could have read the whole of chapter 7. Some great names in chapter 7. My name is Paul, if I haven't met you. I'm one of the pastors here. Can I encourage you to come along Wednesday night to the prayer meeting, it's a great night. Uh, This week we've got Ben and Sally, Uh, they're our mission partners who are doing work amongst the Muslims of South West Sydney, they're going to come and share what they've been doing this Wednesday, so come along to that at 7.45. I'm going to pray for us. Uh, Father we are so thankful that you speak, that you care, we're so thankful Lord that you long us, long for us to know you better. Father, we want you tonight to teach us and to train us, to correct us, to encourage us, to rebuke us where needed. Father, most of all, we long for uh, us to leave here uh, more in love with your son, uh, more confident in our identity as your children. So speak, Lord, because we are listening. Amen. Amen. If you like uh, memory verses, there's a great memory verse on the screen for you tonight. Uh, Psalm 147, verse 11. This is a gem. Uh, The Lord delights in those who fear him. Think about that. The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their trust in his unfailing love. Isn't that a great verse? Uh, For those of us who fear God, who revere God, who stand in awe of God, for those who say, God, you are God, and I'm not. God, you're in control, and I'm not. For those who say, uh, God, you're my father, and I'm your child. For those who say, God, you're my creator, and I'm just a creature. When we live on this earth in reverence for God, in awe of God, the Lord loves that. The Living Translation says, the Lord takes joy in those who reverence him. So to live in this earth, As a child of God, humbly honouring God, worshipping God, revering God, it's the best way to live. Uh, Proverbs 1 verse 7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The best way to live in this world is your eyes fixed on God. And yet, let's be honest, it's easy to live in this world and to be fearful. Fearful of so many different things. Every time you go to the airport post-September 11th, you you live in fear, don't you? All these security checks, and your fears are heightened. Every time you go to a pop concert or to a sporting event, your your bags are checked and your your fears are heightened. Gone are the days where our kids can ride their bikes on on the street all day long. We live in fear. And maybe you're here tonight and you are fearful of something. You live in fear of failure. You live in fear of criticism or opposition. You, you're living in fear of people. And maybe you're here tonight and you are, you're more concerned about what other people think of you than what your God thinks of you. See, the Bible says to fear God, it drives out human fear. It's what John Newton said in the song Amazing Grace, and it was grace that taught my heart to fear And grace, my fears relieved. It's a great verse. Grace, when you understand Jesus and his free gift of forgiveness, it teaches your heart to fear God, to revere God, to honor God, to worship God, but it relieves you of other fears. You're no longer a slave to fear. And that is liberating. The fear of people is paralyzing, isn't it? The fear of other human beings is paralyzing. The Bible says that perfect love drives out fear. Let me ask you, do you fear God? Do you honestly fear God more than anything else? Do you live in awe of him, in reverence of him? Is what God thinks more important than what other people think? It's like if you've got nephews or nieces or you ever go to a a kid's concert and they're playing the clarinet or they're playing soccer and the end of the performance they come up to you and you say oh sweetheart everyone thought you were amazing and the kid says to you but what do you think that's what matters to that child uh, dad or aunt or uncle what do you think did you enjoy it that's what it means to live in the fear of God to live your life thinking what matters most is what my heavenly father thinks Is he pleased with me? Is he honoured by the way I live today? The Bible says, fear God, not people. Peter says in Acts chapter 5, we must obey God, not people. Moses says in Deuteronomy 10, now Israel, what does the Lord require of you but to fear God? To revere your God and to walk in his ways. And that's our theme for tonight, fearing God. Not people. Because Nehemiah was a man who feared God. The man who wrote this book is a man who lived his life in awe of God and reverence for God. That underpinned everything he did. His leadership, his character, his choices, his words, his responses. He feared God. If you're new to this book, the year is 445 BC and God's people have been back in Jerusalem for about 94 years. They're back in the land, but the walls have not yet been rebuilt. And just to remind you, the walls are a symbol of security, and the walls are a symbol that this is God's people living distinctive life for God's honour. If there is no wall, there's no distinctions. If there is no walls, they're not God's people living in God's land. That's why the walls matter. And back in chapter 1, when Nehemiah hears the walls are crumbling he fears God. He, he bows down, he weeps, he fasts, he prays and says, oh Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God. In chapter two, when the king gives permission for him to go back to Jerusalem, he says, the gracious hand of my God was on me. In chapter four, when he faces opposition, he says these words, our God will fight for us. In chapter five, when he faces the internal divisions and fighting within God's people, he says, shouldn't you walk in fear of our God? And here again in chapter six, the way he responds to criticism and slander and attacks and ambush. He shows he fears God, not people. See, opposition here in chapter six is not just attacking God's people. Here in chapter six of Nehemiah, the target is on the leader. The target is on the man Nehemiah. They attack Nehemiah personally because that's the cost of leadership. If you want to destroy a church, attack the leader. Going to bring down a church, bring down the leader. There's a great cartoon by Gary Larson. It's on the screen. Isn't that a great cartoon? Two animals, one with a target on his chest. Uh, And the slogan is this Bummer of a Birthmark Hal. He's wandering around, an easy target. And friends, that's the tactic of Satan. The enemy longs to attack the leaders to bring down his church. And you know story after story of churches that have imploded and been destroyed because a leader has fallen into sin or a leader has become more worldly or a leader has given to discouragement or to slander and the church implodes. That's why you need to pray for your leaders. Pray that we be people of integrity and people of prayerfulness and people who fear God more than people. Three signs of God-fearing leadership tonight. Here's the first one. We're dedicated to God's work and we don't get distracted. You want men and women leading you who are dedicated and committed to keep on serving God and are not distracted. So the first test for Nehemiah was distraction. These schemas from chapter 4 are back in chapter 6. Verse 1. Sambalat, Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of the enemies. And the ones who stirred up trouble in chapter 4, they now hear the wall is almost rebuilt. And so they switch tactics, they target the leader, they target Nehemiah. And it's subtle and it sounds friendly, it sounds lovely, all these invitations. Verse 2, come. Let's meet together in one of the villages on the plains of Ono. Come on Nehemiah, come for a few days retreat. We'll stay at a nice hotel in Ono and we'll have a glass of wine and we just iron out our differences. We can live as good neighbours and foster mutual understanding. And it sounds nice. It sounds Christian. Difficult to say no to that, isn't it? You don't want to offend people and invite you for a weekend away, do you? But Nehemiah fears God. He sees right through them. Verse 2, they were scheming, he says. They were plotting. This is a trap. They want to harm me. They want to take me away from God's work and distract me from building a wall. So he says, verse 3, I'm carrying on a great project. I'm working for God, he's saying. I can't go down with you. Why should God's work stop while I leave it and go down to you? He's so committed to doing God's will, to building this wall. He will not go. He will not get distracted. But they're persistent, verse 4. Four times they sent me the same message again and again and again. A bit like, you know, remember Samson and Delilah? She keeps pestering and wearing him down. And I'm sure the the baits were increased. Come on, Nehemiah, we'll, we'll pay your expenses. We'll book the Hilton. We'll have some nice wine. You can travel first class. But Nehemiah kept saying, no, 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 no. I will not go to Ono. And I'm sure they were angry at that. Now, when you fear people, when you are people pleasers, you often make decisions that are not good for the gospel. But here's a man who is so dedicated to God's work, he will not get caught up in dialogues and debates and conferences and summit meetings he will not waste his time negotiating with the outsiders and find the common ground it's a waste of time he's got god's work to do he's got gospel work to do. There's a, there's a wall to be built there's a god to worship and can i suggest friends that you need leaders like that in the church leaders who are focused on gospel work focused on building god's kingdom that they're not distracted by endless invitations There's a guy who's a missionary to China. Spent years in China. Preaching the gospel, growing the kingdom. And people got converted and the church started to grow. And as the church grew, the invitations started to come. Come and speak at this conference. Come and speak at this conference. Come back to the US and work for the church over there. We'll pay you a better salary, a bigger wage. We'll even fly you back to China for two weeks every year to keep doing good work. And this missionary said this, no, the Lord has called me to gospel work here in China. I will not go. It would be a great thing to pray for your leaders that we are so God-fearing that we are totally dedicated to serving him. You know, there are so many opportunities to engage with the world, to engage in debates on secular issues and hours and hours spent defending the Bible's position on ethics or writing letters to a newspaper or Facebook dialogues and let me tell you as an Anglican here in Sydney you can spend hours and hours on countless boards and countless committees and some is good work but the distraction from the frontline gospel work about 10 years ago now I made a decision here at church by the bridge I'd say no to every outside speaking engagement for two years people didn't like that here in 2019, I only say yes to two outside engagements per year. Why? Because you're my people. You're the flock. I love you. You're the people that God has called me to pastor. Will you pray for us that we be dedicated to God's word? The second sign of a God-feeling leader is this, that they are not discouraged. They're not weighed down, but they're dependent on God. They trust God. The opposition steps up in verse 5. Do you see that? This time it's a letter from Sambalat. And then normally a letter from the governor has a wax seal on it, so it's a private letter and no one can open it. But look at verse five. In his hand was an unsealed letter, an open letter, so every man and his dog has read it. It's like a post on Facebook. It's very public. A great place to air your dirty, dirty laundry. And this letter is plain slanderous. Vicious lies, gossip, and character assassination. Look at the way the letter starts in verse 6. It's the way that every slanderous letter starts. It is reported among the nations. Now Everyone's talking about it, Nehemiah. The word on the street is Nehemiah. It's a great tactic. Create the impression that everybody's talking about it. And just to back up your non-statements... Just bring one name in. And Geshem says it's true, so it must be true. And then you exaggerate and you slander and then you make the inaccurate statements designed to hurt the most. And the target is on Nehemiah. Verse 6, they say that you are plotting to revolt. Uh, The reason you're building this massive wall is you're starting a revolution, Nehemiah. And you're an empire builder, Nehemiah. Moreover, to these reports, you're about to become their king. It's all about you, Nehemiah. Nehemiah, you are such an empire-building, all-controlling king, aren't you? With all your minions doing all your brainwash work. It's a great tactic. Spread a rumour. Make a negative comment. Paint the picture of an underlying motives. You imagine all these people saying, oh, I get it now. That, that's why Nehemiah is working so hard on the war. It's all about him. It's not about Jerusalem. It's all about him as a person. He wants to be king. And when people spread gossip and lies about you, it is so easy to get in, get discouraged or defensive. That's what I love about Nehemiah. He, he's a man who fears God, not people. His conscience is clear. He doesn't need to... Retaliate. He doesn't need to correct the details. He's got two weapons. He's got the weapon of truth and the weapon of prayer. And he uses them both. Verse 8, I sent him this reply. This is nonsense. Nothing like what you're saying is happening. You're making this up, Sambalat. You're just making it up in your head. And then he prays. And I love verse 9. He just prays four simple words now strengthen my hands. Isn't that a great prayer? He's just saying, God, you're strong and I'm weak. God, you are all powerful and I need some of your strength right now. Lord, I feel discouraged. I feel empty. I feel exhausted by these accusations and the threats are getting me down and the slanders and the rumors. And Lord, I'm trying to do your work. I'm trying to serve you. So Lord, please, please strengthen my hands. Notice he doesn't pray, Lord, stop them. He doesn't pray, Lord, change my situation or change my circumstance. He says, Lord, strengthen me to keep on doing the work you've called me to do. Not so he is stronger, but so God's work can continue. It's all for God and his glory and his honour. Can I say, if you're a leader here tonight, Connect leader, Kids Church leader, Youth leader, whatever leader music leader, That is a great prayer to pray. Lord, strengthen my hand for the work you call me to do. And if you do pray for your leaders at church, it's a great prayer to pray for us. Lord, strengthen the hand of Ed. Strengthen the hand of Paul, of James, of Naomi, of Susan, of Curtis, of Sarah. Lord, strengthen their hands that they may serve you in your power, not in their own. Billy Graham says the the Christian life is not a constant high. I have moments of deep discouragement where I go to my God in prayer with tears in my eyes and simply beg, O oh Lord, O oh Lord, please help me. Oh Lord, please help me. I think Nehemiah 6 verse 9 is actually Nehemiah praying Isaiah 35. I think he's just got Isaiah 35 on his mind. Isaiah 35 says this, strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way and say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. Strengthen my hands, O Lord. But you might be sitting there saying, but Paul, it's just words. It's just a letter. It's just an anonymous letter. Why does it matter? And we know that it shouldn't matter. We know that words shouldn't impact us, but they do. When people slander you, it hurts. But the God-fearing leader runs straight to the Lord and says, no, Lord, strengthen my hand to keep doing your work. Can I just say that personally, my prayer life has never been better. The more I've been opposed, the more prayerful I become. I love this quote from a leader. We've been moving from the fear of the what-ifs, to the faith in the who is. Let me say that again. We've been moving from the fear of the what ifs. What if this happened? What if that happened? What if that person said this? What if that person did this? What if? And if you live by fear of the what ifs, it will paralyze you if you shift from the fear of the what ifs to the faith in the who is. The faith in the the God who is good, the faith in the God who is strong, the God who's all knowing, the God who's all powerful, and the God who loves you. And you shift from fear of the what ifs to faith in the who is, it is liberating. It is freeing. You just depend on the Lord. That is fearing God, not people. So Nehemiah was not distracted and he wasn't discouraged. And thirdly, he wasn't compromised. Here's a man who just obeyed God. You see, the invitations hadn't worked and the fabrications hadn't worked. And so, next they try to intimidate and to scare Nehemiah. That's the next tactic to use people in the community, people in the church. You plant somebody in the church family who's like a wolf in sheep's clothing to lure the leader into sin. And you meet him in verse 10. His name is Shemaiah. And he pretends to be a believer, he pretends to care, he pretends to be concerned. He has a word of prophecy. He says to Nehemiah, verse 10, come on, Nehemiah, let's meet in the house of God. Let's meet inside the temple and let's close the temple doors. We'll be safe there because men are coming to kill you. By night, they're coming to kill you, Nehemiah. You imagine this this man who's saying to Nehemiah, come on, Nehemiah, you're our leader. We love you, you're important to us. If they take you out, the work will suffer so. So come into the temple, find your safety there, hide there. And again, it sounds good. But Nehemiah knows his Bible. He knows the word of God. And if you know the word of God, God's word says in Deuteronomy 18, that the only people who can go into the house of God, the only people who can go into the temple are the priests. And Nehemiah is not a priest. He's not a priest, and so he knows if he was to go into the temple, he'd be sinning against God. He'd be disobeying God's word, and he cannot do that. And so Nehemiah weighs up this prophecy against Scripture and says, this cannot be from God, because this man Shemaiah is asking me to sin. He's asking me to disobey my God and abandon my people. He says, verse 11, No. Should a man like me run away? Should I abandon my flock? Should someone like me go into the temple just to save my own life? I will not go, he says. I won't sin against my God and abandon my people. And then I realised that God had not sent him. He'd prophesied against me because he'd been hired by Sam and Tobiah. And verse 13, he'd been hired to intimidate me so I would commit a sin. And I love that about Nehemiah. His greatest fear is not death. His greatest fear is offending his God. His greatest fear is sinning against God and he fears that more than he fears dying. What an amazing man he is. There's the bishop of Constantinople in AD 400. His name was Chrysostom. And the emperor hated him and hated him preaching the gospel and he intimidated him and he threatened him. Christosom said this, Emperor, you cannot banish me for this world is my father's house. Then I'll take away all your treasures. No, you cannot. For my treasure is in heaven and my heart is there. Then I'll drive you away from every person in this world and you will have no one left. No, you cannot. If I have a friend in heaven from whom you cannot separate me, then I will kill you. No, you cannot. Since my life is hidden with Christ in God, I defy you. There's nothing you can do to harm me. Isn't that amazing? He fears the Lord. He doesn't fear people. That is Nehemiah, he was obedient, he refused to compromise, he refused to sin, no matter what the cost. That's hard, isn't it? It is hard, it's the hard road. I've got many good friends in New Zealand at the moment who are Anglican ministers. And they're making the hard choices for the sake of the gospel. You might know the Anglican general synods in New Zealand. Pastor a motion that all Anglican clergy must be willing to perform same-sex blessings. And my Anglican clergy friends said they cannot do that with a clear conscience. And so they formed the Fellowship of Confessing Anglicans. Yet the opposition they face hasn't just come from outside the church, it's come from inside their own congregations. Come on, Costa, you'll lose your house, you'll lose your building. Come on, Dave, what about your family? Think about your future. And these godly men and women who are saying, no, we cannot sin, we cannot do things, we sin against our God, we fear God, not people. I love the way that, uh, will you pray for them, will you pray for our brothers and sisters in New Zealand? I love the way in verse 14 that Nehemiah just entrusts his enemies to the Lord. Remember to bar and sample my God. I entrust them to your care, you deal with them as you see fit, God. Now, do you see how liberating it is to fear God? You're not distracted, you're not discouraged, and you're not compromised. And when we live like that, it is liberating. And God's work flourishes and God's church grows. And extraordinary things are done for God. See how extraordinary verse 15 is? It doesn't look extraordinary, but it is extraordinary. So the wall was completed in 52 days. That is extraordinary. When God's people worked together to fear God and do God's work, they built a wall that was five metres thick and 10 metres high and three kilometres long, and they did that in 52 days. They did in 52 days what God's people couldn't do in 94 years. Because friends, when you're led by godly people who fear the Lord, when you're led by people who are empowered by the Lord and they are faithful, fervent, prayerful, obedient, servant hearted people, and when we work together, we can do amazing things for God, can't we? And when you fear God more than people, the world notices. The surrounding nations says in verse 16 that they've done this with the help of their God. So don't be afraid live in a way that honours your God and all of your God and see what God can do in and through you. See what God can do in and through this church if all of us feared God not's people. See what God can do in and through this church if you prayed fervently for your leaders to be more fearful of God than they are people. And see what God can do through this church if we all work together rather than fighting against each other. So when you fear God, it is so liberating. So when you fear God and do his work, then the the threats stop, do they? And Satan puts his feet up, does he? No, of course he doesn't. The threats don't stop. The threats keep coming even when the wall is completed. That's verses 17 to 19. Now friends, what did Jesus say? If you know your Bible, it's Matthew chapter 10. Jesus said this, do not be afraid. Do not fear those who kill the body but can't kill the soul. Don't fear people. Instead, fear the one who's able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Don't fear people, fear God. And and Jesus didn't just say that. He lived it, didn't he? When they intimidated the Lord Jesus Christ, he didn't retaliate. When they insulted Jesus, he set his face towards Jerusalem When they abused Jesus, he prayed, not my will, but your will. Strengthen me, God, for the work you've called me to do. And then he walked to Calvary carrying an old wooden cross and there he died. He completed the work that God had called him to do. He said, it is finished. He is the great leader who feared his God, feared his heavenly father, not people. But the work's not finished, is it? See, before Jesus left, He says to us, to you and to me, now go and make disciples of all nations. That's the work we're called to do. Go and live distinctive life among the people so people see your good works and praise your heavenly Father. Go and shine a light in this world. But that's hard, isn't it? People might mock me. People might intimidate me. People might slander me or discourage me. That's why he adds those words and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. Don't be afraid. Don't be scared. I haven't left you. See, whatever God asks us to do and wherever God asks us to go, he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. we're his children. We're loved. We're safe. We're protected. We're held. And we're carried. The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their trust in his unfailing love. Let me pray. Father, tonight we want to pray for leaders here in Kirribilli, in Sydney, in Australia, around the world. Please would you raise up Raise up hundreds and thousands of godly men and godly women who fear you, who obey you, who are devoted to you, who are dependent on you. Father, please keep building your church and building your kingdom. Lord, forgive us for times when we are fearful of people or fearful of what they think or what they will say. Help us please to live in awe of you. And we ask that for Jesus' sake.